1: Well, I believe it was the prophet, the notorious B.I.G., Biggie Smalls, who said, I mean the rapper, who said, mo' money, more problems. Anybody know what I'm talking about in the house of the Lord this morning? And uh, as I've studied this sage advice, I believe he's true. I believe that this has been my reality as well, because as I've gained more finances, I realized that I've experienced the problem of being less generous. It's like the more money I get, the less generous I actually want to be. And this is a huge problem because one of the main marks of a disciple of Jesus Christ is that we are people who give. We are generous for God so loved the world that he he gave. And uh, there's scriptures like 1 John 3.17 that says, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, How can the love of God be in that person? Pretty challenging scripture. When I was a new Christian, I would see someone on the street, maybe a busker, maybe a panhandler, someone who had asked me for money. And I was a new Christian, so I would say, oh, God didn't withhold any good gift from me. Jesus Christ gave his life for me on the cross, so how could I not but help and give a dollar to this person? Of course I will give. But now that I'm older wiser, more knowledgeable. When someone asks me for money, whether it's an unhoused person or someone who is a stranger on the street, when they ask me for money, my first instinct is to say, oh, I can't give them money because they'll spend it on drugs oh, I can't give them money because I might be enabling a habit. Uh, Because I'm so much wiser, I can justify being less generous. And so it's been more money, more problems, because I am less generous because of my wisdom. And I believe that isn't what the heart of God would have for us today. Uh, In other areas of my life, I remember when we were first starting the church in about 2017. I was in a car with my wife, Amritha, and Linda, who is in charge of all of our small groups here, right here in the front row. And uh, we were on our way to a birthday party for Zack Snyder, who just drummed today. And uh, we went to a place called Windy City Pies, which has my favorite pizza in Seattle. Anybody been there? I mean, we're talking deep dish pizza crust. So thick, it needs two C's. And that crust is caramelized. And it's got, oh, the sweet pizza. It's got a little kick with a little bit of mama's peppers. It's got a little spice. And God help me, it has pineapples on it. And I love it. I love it. And so I'm dreaming about this pizza, and as I've gotten more money, I've been able to buy this pizza. It's a little expensive. It's like $35 for just one piece of pizza. It's an upgrade from the Domino's $4 pizzas. (laughs) And so uh, Linda and Amritha make this plan. We should share the pizza. I hear this plan, and I say, as a pastor, as a church planner, someone who wants to make known the beauty of Jesus, I say, absolutely not. That's my pizza. I want it. I need it. And Aritha says, Honey, Linda has moved her literal whole life across the nation to help us start this church. You can't share your pizza with her? Say, Okay, let me consider it. Linda, what kind of pizza do you want? And she says, God help me, margarita pizza. And I'm like, This is a deep dish pizza. Help me. You should have known. It's called Windy City Pies. <laughs> God, help me. She says, I want a margarita pizza. And I'm like, this is a deep dish pizza. Can you imagine that much basil on basil on basil? On? It's TMB, too much basil. No way, we're not doing this. I, I'm not. I can't share. The greed had risen and won in my heart. And my wife said, honey, I th- we need to talk after this party. (laughs) This is not okay. And I just, I repent to you, Linda. I repent to you. (laughs) It's like I gained the ability to taste the finer pizzas in life. But as I did, I became less generous. And I, I don't know if you've experienced, as you've gained more money, more prestige. As you gain bigger jobs or more opportunities, maybe you've noticed you've become less generous. And if you have, you're not alone. In fact, there's this book called The Cost of Control by Sharon Hade Miller. She's actually spoken at Kalo's church before, and she writes this very powerful paragraph. She writes, studies show that the more money one accumulates, the more likely they are to become attached to it. With Few exceptions, study after study, has shown a decline in charitable giving relative to income, suggesting that lower income groups are relatively more generous than higher income groups. Another study found that higher-status people are less likely to give money when it is earned rather than inherited, defined according to social, economic, and educational attainment. High-status individuals were less generous than low-status individuals because they wanted more control over the money they had earned, so they contributed less. All of which means Ecclesiastes is right, that book in the Scriptures. The more money you have, the less you act like it. Challenging. And so I have a question to really kind of reflect on our souls. As you've gained more money, have you become more or less generous? As you've gained more money, have you become accustomed to a better lifestyle? Have you found more security in your possessions and you just can't imagine partying with it? Do you feel like you've grown in knowledge and wisdom so you can't trust institutions or individuals with finances because they might abuse it? Do you find yourself feeling more secure with money than God and are unwilling to let go of that sense of control? These are questions I think we need to ask ourselves because most of us are in the top 10% of the wealthiest people on earth. Like we shared last week, if you make more than $25,000 a year, you are in the top 10% of income earners in the whole world. If you make more than $50,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of income earners in this world. In Mark chapter 12 in the scriptures, there's a story about Jesus watching someone give from a heart of radical generosity. And this story really challenges me to be a generous person with my finances. In Mark 12, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she has had to live on. I think this story is so wild. So Jesus is in the, the temple, most likely by the gate called Beautiful in the Temple, Probably near or in the court of women was was a designated place for women to worship. Remember, there is a place for the Gentiles to worship, the foreigners, the women, the men, the people like the high priest. And so Jesus is observing people giving here. And there is probably in the, the court of women, there's like... Thirteen trumpet-looking receptacles where people could bring their free will offering, and so Jesus goes there. It didn't really look like this, but it probably sounded like this. There's trumpet. There's gold, bronze, all this, and so Jesus, he's watching people give. They're throwing their offerings, their coins into these receptacles, and it kind of reminds me of like when I'm at a coffee shop and I pay the barista with an iPad, maybe I sweat my card, put in the chip, maybe I tap it. And then they turn that iPad around for me to leave a tip. And then they pretend like I, they don't know what I'm doing. They're like, oh, let me just touch this machine while you, oh, I wonder what he's going to do. And so you have to like look at this. But everybody behind you can see if you're tipping or not. And so you feel the eyes of judgment. So maybe he had bad service. But you don't want the people to think you're stingy. And because that thing is around and you know people are watching, you leave the 20% tit. Am I alone or you guys know what I'm talking about? You know, all right. And so Jesus is watching people give. He's just sitting there in the court of women. All right, I see you. And then he sees all these wealthy people. They're in their robes and they're bringing a lot of offerings. And it says, like, they're throwing in finances. And I imagine that there's tons of coins that are rattling around. There's probably a deeper thud as they're throwing it in. And they're like, look at me. I'm rich. I'm giving. And then there's this widow, the scripture says, who she only has two small coins, which are like the lowest denomination of coins, worth less than like a penny for us today. And she comes in with her two coins, and I I wonder if she felt like, oh man, I'm not making as loud of a noise as all those wealthy people. I don't have a lot to offer. But then she throws in this wimpy-sounding coin. And then she throws in another coin, and it's not a big deal it doesn't make a huge like impact in the sound in the temple probably nobody noticed but in this moment like we just read Jesus' disciples come here something incredible just happened these wealthy people yes they gave But they just gave out of their abundance. They gave out of their surplus. They probably didn't even notice the impact of their giving. It didn't hurt them because they were giving out of the surplus. But this woman, she gave her two coins that represent all that she has to live on. And I tell you today, her two small coins that look insignificant to the world, She has given more than all the wealthy people here put together. You got to check this out. And I love this scripture because it encourages me that even if I don't have a lot of money, even if I don't have a lot of wealth, I can move the heart of Jesus. Have you ever felt like in church environments, I wish I could do more, I wish I could bring more, I wish I could give more, I wish I could give like this person or make the impact like this person. If I had a billion dollars, then I could make an impact for the kingdom. If I had a billion dollars, then I could show the Lord how much I love him. But Jesus is moved by just two small coins. And a principle that I'm learning from this scripture is this, number one, Jesus is more impressed by the percentage of our giving than the total amount. It's the thought that counts when it comes to giving, not the total amount. And so let me illustrate some of this kingdom math, because Jesus says this woman gave more than all the wealthy people who are giving. So he's, he's, he's introducing a kingdom math for us. So let me ask you this question. According to Jesus, who is more generous? The billionaire who gives $10 million to charity or the single mom with $30,000 who gives $3,000 to charity? The answer, according to Jesus, well, let's do the math. The billionaire gives $10 million, so that's 1% of her wealth. The single mom with $30,000 gives 3000 That represents 10, 10% of her wealth. So according to Jesus, if we're looking at percentages, if we're looking at the cost, the sacrifice, This kind of kingdom math that he introduces says that this mom with $3,000 is giving more than the one who gives $10 million. And that's good news for us who don't feel very wealthy or like we don't have a lot to offer. And when I read the scripture, I'm like, man, why is this widow giving? My instinct is saying, no, the temple should just be giving her money. She shouldn't be giving at all. But I realize there's a bias in my heart against poverty. Throughout the scriptures, Jesus says things like, blessed are the poor, woe to those who are rich. And I I wrote it like this. I believe that Jesus, as he celebrates this woman giving radically, giving to a point that would look like foolishness, giving to the point where she needed God to supply for her, he illustrates this, that generosity isn't a privilege reserved for the financially wealthy. Many of the most generous people I've met didn't have a lot of money. Yes, we are called to give to the poor, but God also celebrates when the poor among us give. And so you may not feel like you have a lot to give, but trust me, you can move the heart of God. Because throughout the scriptures, Jesus tells us that what we invest in, what we give our money to, our treasure is, where our treasure is, there our hearts will follow. When I invest in something, I'm interested in how that thing goes. And so Jesus isn't poor, Jesus isn't desperate for finances. Jesus isn't like, oh my goodness, how am I going to pay for the pearly gates? Jesus doesn't need your money, but he desperately wants your heart. And when we give, it's a way of saying, Lord, this money doesn't own my heart. You do. And so I will give to you. Throughout the scriptures, we see that, yes, we can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. And so uh, throughout the scriptures, we see things that look foolish and impractical, but Jesus celebrates it. I mean, I, I'm thinking of Paul in Second Corinthians chapter eight, where he celebrates people giving out of their poverty. He writes, "In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. That's an act of faith." entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people, and they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. And so are we giving according to our ability or even beyond our ability? Like the widow, with her two coins. And I'm reminded of King David, who wanted to give in a way that meant something in 2 Samuel 24. But the king replied, no, I insist on buying it, for I will not present burnt offerings to the Lord my God that have cost me nothing. I don't want to just get out of the surplus. I want to give something that costs me something. So David paid him 50 pieces of silver for the threshing floor and the So throughout the scriptures, Jesus gives until it hurts. And yes, I know when we give, it releases dopamine and oxytocin. We feel good about ourselves when we give. And I am challenged in my life. I don't want to just give until it feels good. I I want to give until it hurts a little bit, until it costs me something, until I'm putting myself in a position where I need faith to trust that God is going to support me in all of my needs, in my food, in my housing, in all of that because it really is the thought that counts when it comes to kingdom giving. Let me illustrate it with this story. You know, when I I was first dating Amritha, I did not have a lot of money. Had over $100,000 in student debt. I was volunteering for a church full-time, wasn't making a lot of money at all. I actually wasn't making any money. I was just have side hustles and things like that. And I, I had this, like, car. It was a Geo Metro. I had three cylinders. One cylinder didn't work while we were living in the mountains of Colorado. So I had a, really a two-cylinder car in the mountains. It was just, it was bad. And so after dates, I would say, Amrita please follow me home to make sure I get home safely. So embarrassing because my car would just stop. The engine would just stop. It was a stick shift. And so I would need someone to help me push the car so I could drop the clutch and like jumpstart this car with the momentum, so a little four foot ten Amrita would help me push this car, and it was so light, like I could literally lift up one end of the car. It was such a small car, and so she would she would drop me off. I couldn't afford to fix this car. I mean, this was a time of my life where I was living off a of Burger King. Maybe that's why I'm so loyal to the King. Nothing, not, <laughs> I just am, and because uh, uh, I, I I would fast not because I wanted to, because <laughs> I had to. I just didn't have a lot. Lot of money. And in fact, at one point at this time, I was working for the church. I was a youth leader. And uh, I moved out of my place. I couldn't live there anymore. And my friend bought a house. And I said, Jordan, I need a place to live. Can I live with you? Uh, and he said, no. And I said, well, uh, I'm moving in. Anyways, he was Canadian. So he was really polite and he couldn't say no to me. Anymore, So I literally, for about three to four months, lived under his kitchen table. So this was the kind of guy Amritha was dating. I did not have my stuff all together. So when I proposed to her with a diamond ring, she was blown away. And she was like, I know you can't afford this. How did you do this? And to this day, I have not told her. And I'm not going to tell her how I got that money, because I'm not proud of some of the things I had to do to get it. <laughs> but, she <was laughs> but she was blown away by this diamond ring, not because it was the biggest ring she'd ever seen, but she knew the state of my depravity and poverty. <laughs> and so her heart was moved by this token of my love. And it hurt to give, but it was so worth it. And I believe in kingdom giving, the Lord is moved by the thought that counts. He knows how much we have, and He knows how much we're giving and what that represents as far as our trust and our sacrifice. And so you may not feel like you have a lot to give, you may feel like you only have two coins, but trust me, you can move the heart of God. Amen. And it's beautiful. And I, I point two, I, I just want, I believe that we need to make a plan for our generosity. Because generosity doesn't often happen by accident. And most of the times in our lives, we have no problem purchasing things that aren't good for us. We have no problem purchasing things that are maybe excess. You know, we see that shirt on sale. We're not like praying and fasting, Lord, should I buy this? Or like, that's mine. I'm totally buying. When Netflix increases the prices, we're not like, oh, should I pray? No, we're just like, I'm buying this. But when it comes to giving good gifts to help godly things or to advance the kingdom or to give to the church or to charity or things like that, suddenly we have to pray. Have you ever realized that? Or like, Lord, should I do good? Hmm. Let me, uh, yes, give. No, let me pray and fast a little bit more. Please give. I don't know. (laughs) And so I I just think we need to make a a generosity plan in line with this kingdom math that Jesus offers. So point number two, Jesus doesn't need our money, but he wants our heart. And so follow with me. So Jesus says our heart is where our treasure is. So this is what I want to challenge us all with. So create a budget that brings your heart to Jesus. You know, 63% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And I believe that our economy is going through some difficult times, so I'm not trying to bash you if you're just trying to survive. Like, I get it. This is an expensive place to live. But some of us, uh, we've made more money than we've ever made, but we're still living paycheck to paycheck. I was reading this report that says people who are making $500,000 a year still feel like they have to live paycheck to paycheck. And I'm like, come on. What the heck, but... You know, people who are living off a dollar a day feel the same way about us and our income. How are you living paycheck to paycheck when you're making 100 $50K ka year? And so honestly, I think there's a problem with budgeting with us in our lives, that we're not living below our means, we're not making a plan, and we're surprised with our income. And so I just want to bring kind of the fear of the Lord here, because uh, we, as Kalos Church, we make a budget every three months— and we evaluate how we spent our money the last three months, and we make a budget for the next three months. And so as a board, we say, all right, what do we need to do? What do we need to pay for? How much money have we spent? Do we spend above that, beneath that? And we have a third-party accountability firm that helps us with all our accounting to make sure we're legal, we're stewarding God's money, and uh, you appreciate that, right? that we're stewarding God's money because we're religious leaders, we're taking care of the church, we want to use this to advance the kingdom, and you don't want us to just abuse this money or spend it foolishly or embezzle the money or waste it because it's holy money. It's God's money. Well, what if I propose to you that your money is also God's money? Would you be okay with us religious leaders stewarding the church's money in the same way you steward your money in your bank account? I mean, here's the reality check. And I think all of the money we have has been given by God, and we are just stewards. He is the master of our lives. Can I get a louder amen? He is the master. Everything we have belongs to him. But are we stewarding it in a way that honors him? and that is respectful for the good gifts that he's given us. If we took care of the church's money in the same way you took care of your money, would we be glorifying God? It's a challenging question. So I want to encourage you to start a budget. Keep track of your money. What did I spend this month? What do I want to spend next month? How much do I want to spend towards tithing? 10%. How much do I want to give to offering? How much do I want to spend on clothing? How much do I want to spend on Netflix? Make a plan for your money. I really recommend the app called Mint. Anybody here use www.mint.com. It is awesome. It will connect you with your bank account, your investments, your debts, and you can literally have a pie chart of, oh my goodness, I spent this much on coffee this month. My goodness. And it'll tell you the trends. You're spending more this month than you did last month or you're saving more. It is great. I, I remember I went through this exercise with uh, a, a person I was pastoring in my young adults ministry in Michigan. I said, let's look at your bank account. He's like, I've never done that. I was like, bro, what is this expense? You're spending two to $4,000 a month on Taco Bell. My God. And he was He was engaged not trying to drop any names, but he was engaged to Becca's sister at the time. (laughs) He said, I can share this publicly. And his fiance found that out. She's like, things need to change before we get married. He had no idea he was spending that much because he had never looked at his bank account. Could you imagine if we did that at the church? Oh, my goodness. You guys would cancel us like crazy. (laughs) But he just, he had never taken the time to like, know where his money was going, and I, I just think we need to be responsible with the money the Lord has given us, so we're not just living paycheck to paycheck because we don't even know what we're spending our money on. Please make a budget, because we have a budget in a, our family, and I'm tracking that thing on Mint. I'm like, Amrita, did you order something on Amazon? Because I see it. <laughs> She's like, yeah. I'm like, Okay. Cause sometimes we order some things and we don't remember it until it shows up on our doorstep. Cause we're just flipping. It. Does that convict anybody? Convicts me. I just ordered a, a pillow for airport rides. It's pretty cool. You can lean forward with your face in it and you can put your hands under it and look at your phone. $24.99. Was it a good purchase? Lord, I hope so. But we need to be good stewards of our money. And so I challenge you with that. Create a budget. Stick to it. This is God's money. And here, here's a third thing I've never noticed in this story until I studied for this sermon. And it, it, it's beautiful. In the verse before Jesus talks about this widow giving two mites, he, uh, two coins, he shares something that is pretty uh, convicting for religious leaders, He says in Mark 12, starting in 38, Jesus also taught, Beware of these teachers of religious law. And band, you can come up, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces. And how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property. And then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public. Because of this, they will be more severely punished. Jesus sat down, and this is where the story picks up, near the collection box in the temple, and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. And so I I just am so moved by this. I want you to notice the nuance of this. Jesus spends his time really calling out the religious leaders who are corrupt, who are abusing widows, who are taking advantage of widows, but then in the next verse, he celebrates a widow who's giving to the temple run by corrupt leaders. And so point three is this. Jesus criticized the corruption of the leaders without abandoning the institution of the worshipers. And I want you to notice the beauty of that because I, I just want to level with you. I know many of us are triggered by this financial legacy series. I know many of us are triggered by any time a pastor talks about generosity. Maybe you've seen people give and ask a lot for building programs, and nobody's even using those buildings anymore. You've seen people uh, waste money or embezzle money or run away with the money. Or maybe not directly, but you've read the headlines and you've seen it and you've seen this life of this extravagance from some celebrity pastor or something like that. And you're just like, oh man, I don't want to give to that. I'm just so triggered because uh, you know, I, I've seen some things. Here's the beauty, and I want you to catch the nuance. Jesus noticed that there was corruption by religious leaders in the temple. Yet when this widow gave her last two coins to the temple, he's still able to celebrate it. Because it was bigger than these leaders. It was bigger than the institution even. It was about this woman having a pure heart before God saying, I want to give. Lord, I love you. I trust you. I'm placing my life into your hands. God, and Jesus said, disciples, you got to check this out. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. This is beautiful. But I'm not naive. I've seen the headlines. I've experienced it myself with other leaders in my life. But here's why we call this the legacy offering, because we feel a conviction that we're not going to abandon the institution of the church just because there's been some abuses. We're not going to judge this thing based on the misrepresentations of Jesus, but we're going to try to live in a way that lives up to the ideals of Jesus. Amen. And there's been a lot of ugliness in the church. There's been a lot of ugliness in pastors. And I know many of us have been church hurt. I am one of us. But I want to try to see something that lives up to the ideals of Jesus. And I believe that the church can be beautiful because Jesus is beautiful. And my hope is not in corrupt leaders, but in Jesus Christ, who never fails us, who truly is a name above all names. And I'm placing my hope in him. And in the same way, I, I sometimes give to people I know who might spend their money poorly. Maybe they will give to drugs, but my I, I, I rather give with a soft heart than not give with a hard heart. Because it's about our heart in Jesus. And part of our desires of this church and all the volunteers and all the leaders is we know people have experienced bad, but what if we could band together to be a beautiful church? What if as we were giving to help our families thrive in Christ, what if as we're giving to missionaries and local outreaches, people could have a beautiful encounter with a church that's giving for their good, giving for their benefit. What, what if we could be different? And yes, we'll fail along the way. Yes, I'll fail along the way, but we're going to fail while trying to leave a legacy that's better than the one we inherited. Amen. And so that's what this giving represents that the church can be beautiful. You know, there's this quote I read on Instagram by a pastor named Scott Salls, and he wrote this. It kind of moved me because the church historically has been generous. There have been flaws, but there also has been a lot of good. He wrote, Christian philanthropy accounted for 70% of all American philanthropy in 2022. 70% at $300 billion total. Christians also outgave the US government in addressing global poverty. Isn't that crazy? And he, he was quoting from a source called the Philanthropy Roundtable. So I wanted to investigate this a little bit more. Is he making this up? Is he lying? And what I, I found from this article called Less God Less Giving is So Powerful. They wrote an article that said that the the less religious people are, the less they give. So when you give your life to God, you're going to become a giver. This article showcased. And I love all the secular organizations that are giving and are trying to make a difference. And I'm not condemning them or putting them down in any ways. But I believe that the church has a unique role in being a a light to the world and giving. And this article called Less God, Less Giving wrote this. Members of U.S. churches and synagogues send four and a half times as much money overseas to needy people every year as the Gates Foundation does. Much of this religious charity is applied in the hardest places with high efficiency and low overhead by Christians who go the last mile into rural, extremely poor, or dangerous areas where governments and international bureaucracies have no effective reach. It is easy to overlook this giving, just like the widow of two mites, because it comes not in mega gifts from billionaires, but rather in millions of $50 checks written by faithful donors to groups like Samaritan's Purse, World Vision, International Justice Mission, Mercy Ships, American Jewish World Service, Compassion International, Catholic Medical Mission Board, MAP International, and so forth. Over the last couple decades, soaring interest in the poorest of the poor by evangelical Christians in particular has made overseas giving the fastest growing corner of American charity. One result US voluntary giving to the overseas poor now totals $44 billion annually, far more than the $33 billion of official aid distributed by the US government. Isn't that powerful? Church. Yes, there has been corruption in the church, but when the church gathers together to make known the beauty of Jesus, the world can't help but notice. We can outgive the government, we can outgive secular institutions, we can make known the beauty of Jesus together, amen. And so I believe it doesn't have to be just up to the billionaires to give. Even with us and our two coins, we collectively can make a difference. So with that in mind, I want to challenge us to do two things today. Number one, for the love of God, set up a budget. For the benefit of your own livelihood, your family. I mean, you'll feel a lot more financial peace if you just have a plan. Trust me. And number two, pray about giving to the legacy offering. I've been talking about this all month, and I I just want to challenge you with this kind of mindset. Uh, Give like a widow. And I want to tell you this. Even if you give 100% of your money, God's not going to love you anymore than he already does now. You're not earning God's love with this gift. You're showing God, man, I'm thankful, and I trust you, and I just I want to give to you because I love you back. But you're not earning God's love. And if you feel like I'm trying to financially manipulate you or using a power dynamic to compel you to give to this church, take all these principles and give to another organization. Give to another church. Because honestly, I'm more concerned about your heart. Kayla's church is doing great financially. But I am excited about partnering with more organizations. I am excited about moving forward as a church to reach more people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are a lot of amazing churches in our region doing the exact same thing. And so if you feel any tinge of manipulation, just give to another church. Because God, ultimately, He sees your heart. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for joining us for the Kalos Church Podcast. Hey, if you feel comfortable, we would love to see you and meet you in person. We meet at 945 and 1130 every Sunday at the Hilton Garden Inn in downtown Bellevue. If you want to join us, head to www.kalos.church. You can get all the information you need and sign up so we can make sure there's a safe place for you to come and experience the beauty of Jesus with you. We'll see you next time.